We don't snatch purses. We snatch bass players. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Dr. Funk Live podcast. Thank you guys so much for subscribing on YouTube and Spotify and checking us out on Facebook Live as well as Apple Music. Today, we have an amazing guest, Mital Wilkenfield. We're going to be talking with her in her introductions. You guys should already know her. If not, that's on you, but we're going to give you an introduction. What's going on, Tanya? What's going on, Canada, Germany, already in the house? And it's late night over there. Appreciate you guys. Um, Tal has worked with Prince, as you guys, some of you guys know from the latest project of Welcome to America, but she's worked with Jeff Beck, Herbie Hancock, a slew of legends that were honored to work with her. So you got to look at it that way. What's going on, Kimberly, Veronica? Great to see you guys, and as well as um, Tall's fans are joining us as well, which she's got a lot of, and I appreciate it, and just that people are hip to great musicians like her. I saw her maybe around nine or ten years ago at the Key Club, which is defunct in L.A., at a bass event, and she blew me away. And that night, you had Larry Graham playing. I think he was getting a Legend Award. You had Victor Wooten. Uh, Verdine White, but my attention was on Tall. And there is footage from that night because Prince's people were there recording a documentary for, for Larry. So that should be very, very interesting on that front that there's other stuff in the vault, not just tracks uh, that she's on. Uh, I've been so looking forward to having her on for a long time. A lot of you guys didn't know about stuff so i wanted to wait until after this project came out to have her on instead of like when i really wanted her on was which was a few years ago so um i just really really love talented musicians and she is so freaking amazing and i don't want to waste any more time uh ladies and gentlemen the one the only tall Whippenfield. what's up how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. And I have been trying and wanting you on for a long time. Yeah, it's been a minute that we've been in, you know, aware of each other. Yes. And here it is. I'm just going to go with stuff. And we're going to get to every everything that you've done, which is a lot, and how you did things. But for the Prince fans... Here it was, as I believe in 2010, he drops a track called Hot Summer. And no one knows, because he, it's just like when he'd send me photos, he didn't tell me who the players were on the album. So here it is, that track comes out, and no one no one is exactly knowing it's you, because it's not put out on the post. How, like, am I right about that? I mean, I wasn't paying any attention as to what was happening publicly. So I don't know. Um, but you were just like, hey, the track is out. Awesome. Well, it wasn't really like out, out. I think he like put it on like a radio show once and that was it. It yeah. wasn't like an official release, so. With the Prince fans, they were probably grabbing it and sharing it and putting it on their pages. Okay. Although, <laughs> well, I, didn't, I didn't know if like anyone had heard it or like what happened. Yeah, it was very much commented on my site the day that it came out but again like we didn't know the players and then that's the track that first comes out that you did i don't think it's the first track that you recorded with him though right no i mean 
we kind of recorded most of the stuff to get like in one fell swoop. So I don't remember the exact order, um, but uh, we recorded before um, Chris Coleman came into the picture. Like we did some stuff with John Blackwell in 2009. So craziness. Yeah. Two, two very talented drummers. John, we miss you, buddy. Chris, I saw your Instagram live with him. So that was quite impressive. And then the story that you were sharing about Hot Summer, like how did that come to be on, on those things? And then how he wanted you to play or that little hand clap thing. What was the story behind that? It was more like the, the um, he never really told me what to play, but okay. for some reason, like he had these certain specific things that he wanted Chris to do. Although he was pretty open with Chris too. Like he kind of let us both do our thing. But on Hot Summer, he just sung this bongo part to Chris. And he's like, I, I want you to play this with drumsticks. Like, do -do 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 and I started laughing. It was kind of like a bit of a joke, like um, like a musical joke. Because it's right. so like happy, like do -do 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 Now you know every time that song's gonna come on, I'm gonna hear that part. I'm gonna think of you doing that and yeah. to explain it to Chris. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> it actually makes the song even more enjoyable. Like it's just one it's of those. It's a cheery song. It's like no doubt, like you can't help but like smile and laugh when that song plays. Right. Bongos with six. And by the way, I didn't mention this earlier. If you want to see everyone's comments yourself, tall on um on Facebook and YouTube, there's a comments thing to your right. At least it should show. Although mirrored, maybe it's showing to your left, but it's all the way um, above it to it. If oh, not, I'm like Hugh Hefner. What's up, Hugh Hefner? See, there you go. Hugh Hefner. We will never know. Yeah, I told him we were on musician time. He's like, hurry up, Tal's amazing. I can't wait to see her. So. <laughs> It's like you and me both, my man. Oh, this is so. a pretty cool app. Like it's showing like if it's coming from Facebook or YouTube. Yeah, we're like everywhere. Wow. And of course, like yeah. people will see the comments and they're watching the show on the playback. They're like interacting with the other comments about getting notifications on it. I'll be like laughing. But um, yeah. And then not only that, so you have Hot Summer come out. Then a few years later on Third Eye Tunes, and through YouTube, they put out same page, different book, but the same thing that a lot of not a lot I didn't of even know. I only heard about this a couple of days ago. Right? So. Yeah. Like it was put out in 2013. And we, in 2011, during the forum run, um, he they did an instrumental of it out the foundation room at the House of Blues. Like so, they performed that live. Yeah. That was the first okay. time. And then he started adding it to his set list in 2013 with the band he had at that time. But still, it's just like to know that these things are going on and now see the credits of it, you know. And look, a lot of the times and what I love about this album, and especially with your bass playing, is a lot of times what Prince does, especially with, with the bass, is he puts it underneath the mix. And yours is so clear and so vibrant on it that we can hear you're playing. I'm sure a lot of bass players are like, man, he put me so low in the mix, but yours is higher. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but I'm sure there's a lot of bass players like, dang it. But I love your bass playing on this album. Thank it's you. so amazing. And so like you're feeling that thump and everything else going on. I mean, he, he mixes his own bass loud in the mix. Right? <laughs> 
he'll do that and then he'll put down <laughs> other stuff. So, <clears throat> you know, Brazil on the house, seeing some of these comments. I mean, like, it's it's a pretty stripped down record. So, yeah, you know, it's hard to put something low in the mix when there's so little there. You know, we recorded it as a trio. And so, like, like basically me on bass, him on guitar and Chris on drums, like he wasn't singing or or anything. So I'm sure that that got stuck in his head with, when it came time to mix. And it's like, well, th these are the fundamentals of the of the record. Right. And also, like, when he pitched this idea to me, like, um, he basically said, like, he wants to make a trio with me. And, like, he was referencing, you know, Hendrix. And he also, the the reason he called me in the first place in 2008 was because he, he was saying that him and Larry Graham were watching these videos of me on YouTube with Jeff Beck. So he was watching that, which is, you know, primarily a, tri a guitar trio as well. And so it was that and Hendrix. Um, and then he was like, well, find, find me a drummer. I, I want us to, you know, like you pick the drummer. And so I went on this like quest auditioning drummers and not telling them what they were auditioning for. I just said like, let's jam. <laughs> that is so cool. Like when he first reached out to you, did you believe it was him? Because a lot of people are like, like, how did he reach out through YouTube or through one uh, through a manager at that time? No, that would be hilarious if you reached out on YouTube. I, I don't I don't think I had a YouTube account. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, uh, Blackwell hit me up and said uh, that he was looking for my number. And so I said that he could pass it on. And then he called me. OK, but I don't remember how I how I met John. Like, I don't, you know, because I was meeting so many people so fast at that time um, that I don't remember how that happened. It, it'll it it'll hit you. It's just one of those things that there things are coming at you and it's all a blur. can totally understand that for yeah. sure. Now, to jump around because someone's asking this question, when you finally heard the finished product of Welcome to America, what was your initial reaction? Um, well just so everyone knows, like we heard the finished product in 2010 um, because once we recorded it all, uh, he flew us out to have some listening parties. So there were, um, there were like two listening parties, like two full trips dedicated to just to listening and appreciating the album and celebrating. So, so it was so close to the recording that, it just felt natural. It wasn't like a surprise. I was amazed at his talent because I was hearing these lyrics for the first time and I was knocked out um, and especially moved by the subject matters and the way that he was expressing himself about such important issues. Um, and I was very vocal about how impressed I was and how moved I was by his lyrics. And he, he enjoyed, he was, he was happy. Cause I mean, our, our friendship started uh, in 2008. Uh, like when he called me up, like the first few times we hung out, it was just like, I would show up and like, there's a limo waiting and we'd be just driving around for hours, like listening to music. And he'd be asking, so what do you think of this? And what do you think of this bass player? And what do you think about what they did here? And what would you do there? And, uh, did you like this song? And what do you think of this lyric? And there was like just all these questions. And so 
I was kind of used to that dynamic of like being very open about what I thought about, you know, certain aspects of music or, um, you know, lyrics. So yeah, I was very vocal about it. Like, well, especially on Welcome to America, like that lyric just slayed me. Yeah, for sure on that. And these, these listing parties, were they at Paisley Park or did he like rent out a club or? No, they were at Paisley. Okay, just making sure, because sometimes he would do it at Paisley and sometimes he rent out clubs. But yeah, Paisley Park, it's different on that sound system for sure, especially in the studio. Yeah. For sure on that one. Now, for people who don't know your story, and I hope that you guys do your research on, on Tal, like, how did you want to become a bass player? I, I know the story, but for these other people that don't know, and for future musicians that are watching, that have an interest in it. Um, I, I started as a guitar player, um, and I got into guitar because I was a very competitive long distance runner. And um, yet I didn't really train much, but I, I did this really long, it's a 14 kilometer race in Sydney, Australia. Um, and uh, it's called the city to surf. <laughs> and I was like, I, I had my mind set on being this one girl that was like the best um, out of all the schools. And so I didn't like, stretch and warm up or anything and I ran this race and I, I I beat her and I was so excited that I totally forgot to like warm down and I just went and like got a hot dog <laughs> like just was acting like a kid I mean I was you know 13 or I guess I maybe I just turned 14 um and and then I hurt my back like as a result I think because like everything just like cramped up afterwards and then so I couldn't like really run and for for a while, uh, like a few weeks, which is a while for a kid, I guess. And then I was just walking past this classroom and there was a guitar hanging on the wall. Hmm. And I something told me that I needed to pick it up. I don't know why. Um, because I'd never seen someone like play a guitar. Like there was no like context, but I picked it up and like, I played a chord and I immediately like started crying. Like not like boo-hoo, but just like tears rolling down my face. I was like so moved by music in that moment. And I just probably played a D chord or something like super simple. I don't know. Um, but it, that from that moment on, I was like dedicated to music. And in a, within a couple of years, I'd made this decision to move to America um, I got a scholarship at a music school, um, although I was a terrible student, so I didn't uh, last as a student. Um, but that kind of brought me to America. And then, welcome to America. And then I, uh, I once again went from practicing from half an hour a day, which was my limit. Like my parents were like, you can only practice half an hour a day. You got to do your schoolwork. So as soon as I moved to America, I started like pr playing for like five hours a day. <laughs> this is becoming like a habit. Um, and I hurt myself again. Oh no. And so then I had to take a break and it was like, okay, when I, when I come back to music, I'm going to be a bass player. Like, because people had been like seeing me like 
play bass lines on guitar and like I was into like groove stuff. I wasn't like super like I was a soloist because I loved improvising already, but I just loved grooving. And I love the drums and I love the bass and like it's like okay I'm I'm I definitely need to to play bass I'm a bass I'm a bass player and I still play guitar because I still write songs on guitar and I sing and I you know play little keyboards and I I love playing drums so I kind of play all the instruments but bass became my focus you do it all and like if people are checking out your credits they'll say produced arranged composed written and all this stuff so it's just amazing and. When you're talking about playing for five hours, I kind of feel like it's how people play video games. They'll think it's only been an hour. They'll go use the restroom, they'll look at the clock, and it's like they started at 10 p.m. at night, now it's like six in the morning, and they're like, where the hell did the time go? So probably for you, that's like your video game. It's like in a different world and different time. Yeah. And I was just, uh, I was in a hurry. Like, I was just like, I got no time to waste. I just want to like, I want to study. <laughs> Right now, how do, how do some comments just like pop up? Do you like? I'm, I'm doing that. This is so cool. I'm learning. I'm learning. So, and then someone like I'm gonna get to that question, but I want to ask this first. Well, I'm just gonna go into it just so that it's gonna be interactive. Um, Keely's asking, who are some of your biggest bass influences? Well, my biggest bass influences are actually musicians that don't play bass. Um, because I always wanted to expand my vocabulary, like past what, you know, any particular bass player would play. Like, I didn't want to sound like someone that was already doing what they were doing. I wanted to develop my own voice. Mm-hmm. And so I would purposefully, like, imitate a Wayne Shorter solo or um, Aretha Franklin vocal. And I would, you know, try to do that on bass. So I guess I don't have a direct answer to that question because like all my favorite musicians on across all instruments have influenced my bass playing. Mm -hmm. And is this like true? Like I read it, like Jeff Beck sought you, sought you out right after seeing you play or whatnot. Am I correct in that? No, that Prince and Herbie did play with Jeff Beck. I auditioned for Jeff. Um, and sent him tapes of me playing with the Allman Brothers, which is like one of the first times I've been on stage and a solo record that I made in New York. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Impressive on that still. And Cobra is asking, I'll put this up, what musician band influenced the riff on Hard To Be Alone? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know that a particular musician or band influenced that. I mean, I, I'm I'm influenced, but I mean, all my influences are in all my songs I'm playing, but I'm not necessarily thinking, I want this to sound like so-and-so, just kind of like an amalgamation of all things. Right. <clears throat> now, when it comes to um, Back to Welcome to America on same page, different book, how did that kind of like flow in the studio with... Um, was he like how he was trying to tell Chris with the bongos and everything? Was there anything of, of what he wanted you to play or did it just come along organically? Um, well, for all of the songs, there was no rehearsal and close to no talking about the song. 
in advance. It was, um, okay, so uh, uh, let's go, you know, G to E minor to D, and then we'll loop that for a while, and then I'll cue you for the chorus, and then we'll go to B here, and then I'm, we might go to a bridge at some point. Just follow me. Uh, we'll figure it out. Okay, roll the tape. And then we'd record. And, like, that's how it, every song went down, except for maybe one um, Stand Up and Be Strong, because I remember, like, the, the vocalists were, like, rehearsing that song. But for same page, different book, um, yeah, he just told us, you know, well, let's just jam on these chords. And we jammed on them. And then when it came to, you know, that that space, he would just, he just pointed to me, like, right before it happened, like, fill. And so I just, like, I didn't know it was coming at all, like, that there would be any fills. And that happened. And then, you know, the second time round, he did the same thing. And I was surprised. And then the third time. And so by the time, like, the fourth time it happened, I was giggling so hard that I, I didn't play anything. I was just laughing. And that's why there's that space the fourth time it happens. And then the fifth time I went went back and I, I, I did a fill again. But yeah, he just left it. He left everything as is. He didn't want to punch in anything, like change anything. Everything was as we played it live. That's interesting. And was he, would there be times where he was trying to make you laugh? I know that you did that on your own. But there were times like he was trying to like mess with you a little bit in the studio or, or other times. I'm just curious. Like, like, what do you mean by that? Like if he's trying to like be more playful with you to kind of like break your concentration or do other things while playing. I know that he can be a little bit of a prankster. Oh, sure. yeah. I think I think that he authentically wanted us to be sitting on the edge of our seats because he believed that he'd get the best performances out of us. And he chose musicians that could handle that. Like, you know, I have a background in jazz and rock and funk. Like, so especially with jazz, it's like you learn to be put on the spot and make decisions instantly with confidence. And that's kind of what, you know, he put us in a position where you had no choice but to do that and to not doubt yourself because you didn't get a second chance. Um, I don't think he was trying to prank me. Um, I'm, I'm sure that like he would have laughed if I had fallen on my face and not done what he, but I didn't. So, right. you know, like laughed as in laughed with me because I mean, I was laughing, as I said, by the fourth time, like I, I thought it was hilarious. Um, just hilarious that he wanted his song to be filled with bass fills. I thought that was funny, you know, cause I can't reference another song where he's like having bass, it just seemed, odd and hilarious <laughs> Different for sure during your downtime what would you guys do would you play table tennis or would there be other things they that that he would do when you guys were waiting for stuff to either be mixed or be done what would you guys do during that time we were never waiting we just get in and get out um there were meals um and then very long discussions. Like we have a lot of long one-on-one -on -one discussions about stuff. But I think that that's like, it depends on your personality, you know? Like if you're into playing basketball, then I'm sure he's gonna take the spare time to like play basketball with you or table tennis or, but the, with the kind of personality that I have, which is like, I love to dissect everything and talk about every angle of every subject. Like that's just kind of part of me. And so we were a hilarious match that way. We would just 
go down the rabbit hole of, of any particular topic that we were interested in, whether it's, you know, spirituality, which he was very focused on at the time, being a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and, you know, my background, you know, I grew up Jewish, but I also, you know, studied Buddhism and Vedanta, and I've read a lot of, like, different kinds of philosophy. And, you know, we had a lot to talk about uh, with within that subject and then talking about the music business and the struggles of that and the, the unfairness about certain things in the industry and what to look out for. And he kind of mentored me in that sense. Like he, you know, one time sat me down for like three or four hours and, you know, we went through what, all the reasons why I shouldn't sign this major label deal that was being offered to me. Um, and he had no stake in it one way or another. I think he just genuinely cared about the people that he surrounded himself with for sure on that. And I know those discussions like you go on and then if you're bringing up stuff, he would get really excited when you start talking about music or other things. So I can just imagine that because being up, being on the side of it to where I think we're only going to be talking for a half hour and then a few hours go by. It's kind of a, kind of interesting. And you yeah. do go down the rabbit hole for sure. Which yeah. I love. I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, Pierre Paul's like, were there any songs you remember recording that were not released on Welcome to America or were included in other Prince releases that we're not aware of to date? Yeah, I mean, we recorded a lot. Um, I mean, at least 30 songs. So there's, I guess there's, I'm playing on 10 out of the 12 songs. So there's another 20 or so. <laughs> um, some, were for, some were for Live, though. Um, Oh. And there was one song I like, like played a bass solo on. Um, I remember playing a bass solo on, but yeah, there's, there's quite a bit. I just I remember the bass solo one because I just remember laughing once again. Like, wow, he really he really is trying to feature me here. Like, this is so sweet um, and unexpected, you know? Right. Someone's asking because it was released, but again without credits. Um, uh, they're asking if you played on the song Rich Friends by Prince. All right, I'll check it out. See, someone better hook her up with a link to that, but I'm not certain if uh, that's her on that. Um, he, did, he did not play when it came to warning people about those 360 deals. Yeah, that's for sure. He definitely wasn't a fan of the 360 deals. How different was, say, Jeff Beck and Herbie and Prince on how they worked with you and what they brought out of you. I'm sure like you brought so many different things to the table being how talented you are, but how different were they in the different aspects? I'm just curious. Well, I guess I'll start by saying that I had very just, they weren't comparable situations. Okay. Um, so, you know, I've record, I've, I've been on Herbie's, uh, recordings. There's a, a few, few tracks that are out, but it was like a couple days in the studio. Um, it wasn't like a full on project dedicated to me and a drummer or something. Um, whereas like this Prince thing, like I probably, I spent at least 50 days with him, maybe more. Like we spent a lot of time. Um, and it, he was looking at it as a, like a project, um, and then Jeff Beck, I have record. I, I mean, I'm on uh, a lot of his live things, um, but 
only one album and that album was done in a, a different kind of way like i overdubbed bass to like program drums i think and then and then weeks later vinny overdubbed to that so it wasn't like done all in the studio even though jeff's done that plenty of times i just haven't done that with jeff so and then i've done a lot of live stuff with jeff and herbie and i i've only played live with prince you know in his own home so it's just not not really comparable um i i mean if i can compare it to like other studio situations that i've been in because i've obviously been in plenty of you know studio situations i'll say prince is one of the fastest working artists i've i've been in the studio with which was extremely surprising to me um given that you'd naturally assume that that's what a jazz musician would want. Like, okay, come on, let's just do a take. Blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, they're limited with funds. And also that's just how the music is made. It's improv music. You don't need to redo stuff. Uh, typically you'd assume that like someone that's, that's making, you know, vocal music, um, that's popular music would spend as much time as they need to, you know, if they have the resources and, and I see that over and over and over again in so many studio sessions where it's like, let's redo that. Let's just do this verse like 50 times in a row. And it's like, can we just cut the track guys? Like, but people don't want to record that way anymore. I recorded um, my album love remains that way. And I recorded my first album that way. Like let's all get in the studio and let's do takes. Like, and I love that because you get a real authentic, um, take on the on the song like you're reacting to to a full song in real time um so but yeah i was i was pleasantly surprised for sure yeah and sometimes you know that would be the jazz side of him that would come out it's so interesting that you mentioned that because he did have you know an extension of himself he tried to do all these different types of music but he did gravitate towards jazz and do these heavy projects. Such so as interesting that you even caught up on that and how, you know, even though he had money, he had his own studio. It's like, he wants to do it quick. And I feel sometimes it's like, there's, there's other ideas in there. And if he doesn't get it out, he's going to miss that idea. If he takes too much time on, on one thing. Yeah. You know, it's very inspiring. Just craziness. And Cole was asking, didn't you record a rendition of Fives with Guthrie, Golan, and Lee Rutner at one point? If I butcher their names, I apologize. Uh, Guthrie, Govan, and Lee Ridenour. Yes, I did. It's, a, it's, a, it's online. You. you can find it wherever you listen to music. See? And I want to know this. Someone's asking, has Jeff driven you around in any of his awesome cars that he's built? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I basically like lived at his house for about i would say like maybe three or four weeks and his wife is like the greatest cook and she'd like teach me how to make scones <laughs> and then jeff would like drive drive me down to the corner store and i mean it was fun it was like it's like hanging with family <laughs> right for sure and then I know that you said about Prince and limos. Did you drive around in his little black Cadillac listening to music or talking about stuff? Yeah. Okay. And he called out his car, Miles Davis, just because of how black it was. 
that's what he said. That's all I'm going to say on that. So no one tried to come out, out for me for that. And of course, I'm sure there was. Jerry had this question. Was Prince disappointed when you told him you couldn't tour the album because you were already contracted? Um, well. I would be disappointed. <laughs> I mean, Chris saw, saw his face and said he looked disappointed. Like, because, I mean, yeah. But, I mean, I was disappointed. Right. And was there other times where it came up to where he contacted you to tour again, or was that kind of like it for a bit? Um, well, that was the last time because there was a few times before that, that he tried to, to, to get us to do certain things. And it was always just tough. Cause I was juggling, well, three main gigs with Herbie Hancock and Jeff Beck and Prince, but there was also other, you know, sessions that I was doing in LA and you know what it's like to be a musician you're you're you got to do something nearly every day to keep it going so totally and I'm you know I, I place my word and loyalty above all else because that's kind of all we have especially in a business like this as freelancers if you give someone your word you can't you, you I don't want to back out of that so it, it sucks when you can't do everything it really does and disappointing that we couldn't find a way to to do this but um i guess that's just you know he moves on fast if something can't happen like you're saying like whether it's in the studio or it, it's a touring act it's, it doesn't matter it's all the same mentality it's like okay we can't make this work well let's make this work um, you know yeah and i like i wish more people were like you in the industry they're like that that you give them your word and you do it sometimes oh you're doing oh my yeah. god i have had the like I had something like really heartbreaking happen where I got booked on like the biggest tour, um, like as an artist, like um, I got booked on this really big tour and uh, a musician, I'd booked a bunch of musicians for this tour and like a week before the tour and everything was paid for the hotels, the flights and this, this, this person got a higher paying gig and bailed on me. And, um, yeah. Like, I, I could never imagine doing that to someone. Yeah, it happens a lot. That's why I'm saying you saying that your word and all this stuff, it goes far with me because I've just seen it so many times with people. I wish more people were like that. Yeah. Sure. Um, this is an interesting question, although I don't want to make the assumption since you didn't tour with him, it didn't happen. But someone someone's asking, were any outfits created for you at Paisley? No. See, that's why I figured if you were touring, for sure, you would have had like an entire wardrobe. That's another thing you may have missed out on, um, on that. So, and I'm sure someone put this in. I, I totally agree with it. I'm sure Prince respected you for keeping your previous commitment. He may have been disappointed, but at least it wasn't like the other person where you bailed on him. No, you know? it was it was because after he asked me to tour, he still brought me back to like check out the album and have a listening party and then i remember like going into this office area where he's sitting at his desk and like this was unfortunately the last time i saw him but he said um thank you so much like i've been trying to get this sound out of me for so long and thank you for helping to bring this out of me like it was like the most gracious sweet respectful thing to say mm -hmm especially since he knew that like we weren't touring anytime soon. 
And it was just, so he definitely was fine with it, you know? For sure. And of course it's something that like still haunts me, you know, like, damn, like we had this project and like, we, we made it from the ground floor up. Like it came from a phone call. Let's make a band. Let's make a trio. You find the drummer and then like, and we didn't get to see it through. Um, so this album coming out now is, is as close to closure and healing as, as I could get, honestly. And like the, the nice feedback from people also has, has helped, you know, cause that was a big part of my life and nobody knew about it. Cause I didn't, you know, I don't really talk about what I do unless it's like, it's something that's coming out. I don't need to like go and guess what I did today. <laughs> like I, you know, I keep everything like close until, you know, we're announcing it. So right. no one really knew I even worked with Prince. Like even the people closest to me were like, wait, you were, you worked with Prince? And I'm like, yeah, like spent like two years with him. Yeah. Like I was keeping tabs on you and I knew I had a feeling it was like that, that you didn't want to discuss it until things were fully out. That's why it's like for years. I'm like, man, I can't wait for that house stuff to get released because I can't wait to talk to her about it. But right, that, that's where it comes down to. I was definitely was keeping tabs on you and other stuff. And then I'm just so glad to see it, see the light of day and for you to get the accolades and other things that you deserve, you know, as a musician and of course working with him you know and someone asked this when was the last and you don't need to discuss if you don't want to they're just like when was the last time that you like spoke with him well i mean it was that lot when he thanked me cool yeah okay just making sure on that and is there anyone that you haven't played with yet that you would love to play with i'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to work with you but is there anyone that's on your list Bob Dylan and Paul Simon have always been on that list. Wow. They're um, some of my favorites. Um, and then in terms of like artists now that are kind of just like, I really love Billie Eilish. I think she's great. Um, there's a lot of artists, but I, I would say like the, the people that have been like the longest on my bucket list is, is, Bob Dylan and Paul Simon. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Of course, for sure. Um, Prince and Jeff Beck, two of the greatest guitarists, similarities, differences, working with them. You kind of discussed that a little bit. There, there was obviously differences between Jeff and Prince, although I'm sure they both respected each other tremendously. Well, that was what was funny, was like when I was working with Jeff, like he'd start playing Prince songs and like talking about how much he loved Prince. And then I'd have Prince, like, because I was working with them at the same time, then I'd have Prince be like, I just love Jeff and I like, love watching you guys interact. Like, they, they were like fanboying over each other. It was so cute. <laughs> that is so funny yeah. to hear. And it just, it's like the tremendous amount of respect. And a lot of people wouldn't see that, whether it was on Jeff's side or on Prince's side. But it's kind of cool to hear about that, you know? Um, Oh yeah, for sure. I saw this because you did uh, Mark Marone's on podcast. Tall is a big fan of stand-up comedy. Ask her about that, please. Um, 
stand-up comedy for sure who doesn't love stand-up comedy and who doesn't love to laugh yeah well interestingly enough it was um it was prince passing away that inspired me to or led me to comedy because he he passed and i a leonard cohen who was a friend and mentor passed and tom petty and a, a, quite a lot of people that I loved and had personal relationships with um, passed away very quickly. And it was just like an overflow of grief. Um, and, uh, and so one of my friends called me up and, and he was like, Tal, uh, I think, I think you need to just go out and have a laugh. And I was like, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, you know, I'm staying home. <laughs> He's like, no, Wait, wait, come out. And so I went out to the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard. And, and that was the start of me discovering comedy. And well, I became friends with so many comedians. And they got me through that time because I was just like, even playing music was really tough for me. And, and this is after, you know, spending years like, uh, you know, with my spiritual practice. And there's a lot about, you know, death and it's not you know the, you come to terms with death as a, a positive thing you're just moving into a you know, so and I still was like this was the first time I was like wow like dealing with that in my life and um comedy got me through it all my friends in the comedy scene and and now it's like I can't imagine life without stand-up comedy and without my friends in the comedy world they they just are such an important part of my life and an important part of the way that I now write lyrics, you know, like it is, it definitely added another dimension to, to my songwriting and just my general view of life. Right. So many songs I've written wouldn't have been written without Jeffrey Ross just playing on that, but he can be an inspiration for so many different things, but he's yeah. so funny. And, and, you know, even when it comes to movies, and I love comedy, going to comedy clubs and other stuff. I gravitate towards comedy because you want something that's going to uplift you, something that's going to make you laugh. We already have so much ridiculousness going on of, of doom and gloom around us. You need to have those comedic, lighthearted moments that just make you laugh and make you feel good. Especially for me, because like... You know, I am a very analytical, scientific kind of person. I was, I've always been into like quantum physics and philosophy and this and that. Like, I love dissecting stuff. And, you know, that was one of the, like I said, one of the reasons why, why uh, Prince and I got along. Um, but I needed, I didn't know at the time, but I needed something to balance me out. And that's what it was. That's what I needed. It's comedy. For sure. And I'm sure <laughs> you guys, you and Prince were having great discussions of quantum physics. And Big Bang Theory, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> I had to go there on it. Um, I don't think this is this is happening, but someone wanted to know if there is any 2021 tour dates or anything going on. Like what what are you working on in the coming months? Probably in 2022, I'd say. It's just, you know, there's so many things that like are getting booked and canceled and booked and canceled, and so it's just and there's no there's no insurance really um, because it's expected that things could cancel at any minute, so it's just 
it's a big financial gamble, especially for artists that, I mean, well, actually for all artists, it's a huge financial gamble. So I'm just focusing on creating and writing music. I've written a lot of music. Um, so hopefully I'll start to release that next year and then tour. Right. See, I like that you're already thinking ahead of that and having to think like instead of scheduling the dates, you have to worry about canceling because that's what's happening in Australia right now with their lockdowns is like I'll have musician friends that will have gigs and they keep getting canceled due to these lockdowns. So it's yeah. you're thinking so far ahead of that and like, you know, things are things are opening up now, but let's chill. Let's wait till 2022. Um, someone's asking this. When Hit and Run Phase 2 came out in 2015, the thousand light years from here, Vamp showed up at the end of the song, Black Muse. Were you made aware of that? And did you hear it at the time? No. No. Okay. Just making sure. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. There's some really, Prince's, Prince's fans are like super educated on, on it. Wow. We, we, that's like, that's like gonna be my new, my new goal is like if my fans can be half as educated as that. Hey, come on, tall fans, step it up. What did I, I do in 2009 on April 23rd? <laughs> love it, love it. Cause yeah, this is what I try to do is just what Prince did is I wanted, I talk about other artists and other stuff because Prince didn't just want his fans listening to him. He wanted him to discover other people and other artists. So I continue to try to do that and want them to be expanded to where they know you, they know everyone. I, I will slam them on certain things in their head and they will not deal with some of the artists that I like, but I feel that you need to know just more than one particular artist. I love how enthusiastic they are and they'll be on top of it. It's amazing. That's a true fan, you know? Like, I just posted something yesterday, like reposted something that Robert Glasper posted. It's like, it doesn't matter how many followers you have on Instagram or Facebook. It's like, how many people are gonna show up to your gig and like drive through some like shitty storm and like be standing in the front row and like buy your merch and like really like tell you their, their favorite track. Like, those are your fans, you know? Right. I was doing like a running gig in 2013, like talking about how certain artists had like 60 million followers. So I go, so when their album comes out next week, it's going to sell 60 million copies, right? That's exactly what you're saying is who are these people that are going to brave the storm that go to the show? There may be someone who follows you, but that doesn't mean that they're exactly going to support you and go to your gigs. Yeah. So those I things do have some good. like really amazing fans like that do do all, all of that. It's, it is really touching to see. So. I'm just kidding, guys. Of course, they have to know that on that. Kim's asking, are, are Prince fans different than the fans of other artists? You kind of just touch base on that, just that they know this stuff. But do you see any different different differences between, say, fans of yours and Prince's or Jeff's when it comes to you? I'd say, judging from Prince's fans, they kind of got like the Grateful Dead has like a fan base like that, where it's like they know every version of every, and there's like, you know, a hundred versions of or more of each song. Like they know all of them and what year and where and who wasn't around and who had a cold and, you know, but not all artists have that. Like, um, I'm trying to think, like I've, I feel like the artists that I work with all, have that in different ways like 
it just depends on what the artist brings out in that fan but yeah i i i'm lucky to have worked with artists that have you know fans that really pay attention for sure on that and of course you have you have your fans are like can you please ask tall if she plans to release a new lp prior to touring in 2022. yeah i'm working on a lot of music the, the thing that's hard to do is to you know to get everyone safely in one room together recording, which is how I prefer to record, you know? Because, you know, there's all, all this this varying information that, that's coming out on, you know, you don't really know. So, I'm just, you know, I'm gathering all the songs and then when the time is right, um, then I'll get everyone in a room and we'll probably like blast out 50 songs, literally. Right. Yeah. See, and varying information. That's why I only got my information from Jeffrey Ross. Yeah. That's the only way to go. You don't have to worry about it. That's a great source. And yes, and of course, speaking of someone, we have a mutual friend who worked on the Welcome to America box set, Matthew Bitton. Yeah. Bitton. Bitton, exactly. Yes. You know, yeah. I met him in the whole, in the comedy world too. He's, he's such a gem of a human. He, he's the one that first called me up and he was like, he's on speakerphone. I was like, hey, what's up, man? Like, I thought he was like going to tell me about some like Dave Chappelle thing that was happening, like some hang. And and he's like, hey, is this you? And then he starts playing um, same page, different book. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, I got some news for you. <laughs> See, so cool. Yeah. And everyone from Mr. Beton to yourself, everyone who's involved with this project should be really, really happy about how things are going and just the dedication that's been put into it and the appreciation it seems that a lot of people are having, whether it's fans or critics alike, everyone seems to be blown away from this and taking a step back and digesting it all, which, yeah, which is, you have to do. It, and it's that's hard to do with an artist that we all love so much that's not here. It's like whenever a posthumous album comes out, it's like I it's like I have a tightening in my chest, like ready to hear it, like, uh oh, I'm scared, I'm scared. Is this like what's this gonna be? How much is the artist? How much is what happened after they got like I, I feel like fear. And it's like, I mean, I'm glad that the fans know that like Prince actually finished this when he was here in twenty ten. Like this wasn't like some aftermath thing that happened in recent years you know like that's big to know that you know for sure and there'll be all these things about why didn't he release it or whatnot i do believe at that time the lyrical content people are ready for it things were a little bit happy and glorious and then of course with you and chris not being able to tour that played into it as well but we had discussions about the vault and i love how there be so many people that say stuff. He wanted this stuff any to be released, and I'm glad that it is. Um, even posthumously, that you get you know the clutching of how how it makes you feel. But I'm just thankful and grateful that people are able to become fans of you that may not have known of you, but because of this album, they're discovering you. You know, yeah, if that makes any sense. So, um. Someone's asking this, if the opportunity arose, would she, would you consider an acting career in addition to your musical career? 
like because you have all this time on your hands uh, <laughs> time in my hands not on my hands there you go see you get, like are we gonna, can we expect the acting career can we expect you to get on stage and maybe do a little bit uh, some comedy or is that just not a stage that you want to be on it's not about want it, it it's about time like you're saying it's it's um there's a lot to do and to still uncover within music and um, just diving deeper and deeper and deeper into that craft. Like if I spread myself too thin, I, I don't want to be kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, but, you know, if, if there was some cameo that I was asked, like, you know, show up in this movie and do a song and say a few lines or something kind of simple. It's like, yeah, sure. Like I can do that. You know, I've seen musicians do that. Um, but like having a whole acting career, like, nah. Right. Someone's asking a question. I'll do it. Like how, see where it is on the charts to me, it's debuting top five, especially with him not being, being able to be here. It's not like you guys were able to go on Fallon or go on Colbert and perform it. I think that it's done really well, especially when you're seeing the artists are in the top five right now to Billy, to Olivia Rodrigo. I think it's quite impressive that it debuted where it debuted, albeit it may not be to where their sales are, but they have to understand for a legendary act, this is his best selling posthumous album. And the first one of newly uh, released material, not exactly stuff from decades ago. So I think that that's important because people are asking about money from that, but I think it's its own reward of where it placed and the attention it's getting more so than, you know, the monetary value. Yeah. You know, and of course, anything sometimes when it's being created, it's already right there. It's been done. You've had, you've had, how do I put it? The value is already there, but for other people to experience it and feel it, that's where it comes from in my opinion, at least. So, and someone's asking this before, and these are the last few questions before I let you go. Um, why did you stop playing guitar and switch to bass exclusively? Although I know you still play guitar, but that some people feel you went away from it. Um, it's kind of the same reason, uh, the same answer as the acting thing. Like I, I find that I like to focus on one or two things at a time. Um, and so it was bass. And then after, you know, a, a certain amount of time touring, playing bass with people, then my focus became singing and songwriting. Um, so it's kind of like I, I like to kind of portion things out and, and work them out in their little bubbles of time. Um, but I, I use guitar to, to write and I play guitar on my last album. Um, I'm not trying to like solo and be like a lead guitarist or feature myself on the guitar. I use it more as like a songwriting tool and I'm, you know, uh, I play drums too, but I haven't put drums. Like I haven't played drums on my own album or anything like that, because I guess if I was, if I was going to do that, I would do it for a musical reason, not for like a gimmicky reason. Like oh, I, I can, I can do this. It, it would be like, this is the best, you know, kind of flavor for this song is my drumming. on, And I just, that hasn't come up 
authentically for me yet where I'm like, I want to. And part of that is because I like to record as a full group to the, to the point where, you know, on, on my album, Love Remains, it was recorded as a trio with Blake Mills on guitar and me on uh, bass or acoustic guitar and voice. And then Jeremy Stacy on drums. And like on one song that, that Blake was trying to find a guitar part and he couldn't find something that fit the, for the song Love Remains. And so then I was like, well, why don't you just play bass on this song? And so he, it's it's Blake Mills playing bass on my yeah. song Love Remains. So it's like I wasn't even trying to feature myself as a bass player on my record. I was trying to like just do things uh, like authentic representations of the song in real time and whatever works best for the song. And he played a great bass line for that song and a very unique bass line, especially coming from his primary instrument as, as guitar. Not that he's limited to one instrument. He can kind of play anything. Um, but I really liked his take on it. So. Right. Thank you for that. And although I'm, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this name too. Why is the Sadowski bass your choice to play off it? You, you, you nailed that. You could be in a Roger Sadowski ad. Fair enough. How, um, how why people call your people or your people. Call it was, um, the only bass that I had for five years or something. Um, so I played it on everything. It's on all the Jeff Beck stuff. It's on all the Prince stuff, on all the Herbie stuff, on basically everything I did was that bass um, until 2013. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started getting a few more instruments. I got my like five string with the high C. I had a five string with the, with the low B. I got, um, I found a P bass which has become my primary axe pretty much a harmony bass. So, so now I'm not like limiting myself to one instrument, but I actually enjoyed the challenge of being able to play everything on that one instrument. And I actually, it felt like, and still does it, but especially at the time when I was playing it so often, like a living, breathing thing. And like every time I played the instrument, it started to sound better because I got so in tune with the intricacies of where everything was and like just how to like finesse it to get the exact tone uh, I wanted, um, the exact vibrato and this and that. And, you know, every musician that I loved played that bass, like Prince played that bass. Everyone, you know, put their, their um, grease on it. And I never cleaned the frets. And it's like the, the greasier that bass got, like the better it sounded. <laughs> got it. I'm sure I'll <clears throat> These frets. Speaking of which, there you go. That's like, feel that grease? <laughs> Every time I get a guitar tech, I'm like, please do not clean the fretboard. Whatever. And early on, like I remember doing this gig and there was a new tech for a, for one of the Jeff gigs and they like cleaned the frets and I was so sad. <laughs> so now I'm like every time there's a new tech, I'm, that's the first thing I say, don't clean the frets. You have to make sure of it. It's important for sure. Someone's asking this question, although, and this is, we're wrapping it up for people uh, watching um, that I'm sure if he didn't design clothes for you, they're, they're wanting to know if he designed a base for you or wanted to get you a base or something. 
Just curious on that. Any equipment he was wanting to purchase for you? Probably, but I, I think he was very aware of how attached to my instrument I was and like my pedals and my, you know, I kind of had my own thing uh, going, um, even with clothes. Like I was, I was very much a t-shirt baggy jeans girl at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there wasn't too much that was going to change that. <laughs> uh, it took it took it took a lot of effort for me to to dress up at the time now i kind of you know i've grown up and it's just part of part of my life now you know but when i was you know 19 20 21 22 i, I just you know t-shirts and jeans and, and my converse sneakers every day there you go you know, I could see like he was tr probably trying to get you into a dress and in Converse boots, but glad we didn't. That's a good thing. Maybe we didn't see what he would have picked out for no, you. No, because I remember like when the listening party thing happened. Because the first time it happened, I didn't know we were doing a party. Uh -huh. I just thought we were going to record more or something. Like because because he didn't say why we were going to Paisley. Just like hey, come by, you know, which is how it always is. Um, and then he's like, well, we're going to have a party. And I'm like, do I have to dress up? <laughs> do I have to change? So, and and then everyone was like showing up in Grammy attire. And I probably just had like a nicer pair of jeans and t-shirt to put on. <laughs> See, he really liked you then if he was allowing you to wear jeans. That just says a lot. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> so. I could have you on for so long. There's so many questions, but we're going to save it because I would love in the future. I hope to have you on again. Yeah. Here anytime. Thank um, you. I appreciate you so much. Make sure you guys are watching the replay. We're going to put the links where you can follow uh, Tall and everything else that's going on with her. But um, I thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on the work on Welcome to America. And we're so looking forward to more things for you coming up in 2022. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for everyone that joined us live. Absolutely. Thanks again, Tal. See you soon. Bye. Good night. Incredible, incredible, incredible is all I can say. She is so amazing. For you guys that do know her, for you guys that are finding out about her, make sure to look for her stuff, get her things. We're going to provide the links for that. Um, just an amazing guest. It's someone I've been looking forward to having on for a while. Um, what we're going to do is I'm going to wrap this up. I will do a, a small after show for a little bit. We're going to wrap this up, though. So check out the live, maybe about 15, 20 minutes. But again, thank you guys so much for tuning in live on YouTube and Facebook Live. And for people watching the replay, thank you guys for listening on Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere else. It is so appreciated. Um, thank you guys so much. Till next time, much love. Keep it funky.